Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Muggier Hannibal Race Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. Got a guest with us on the line, talking endurance, my favorite topic. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Mudgear. If you're at World's Toughest Motor, you saw the Mudgear everywhere. Uh, make the best socks. They've got seat covers. They've got shower togas. They've got shirts. Lots of great stuff there. Use the code ULTRAOCR, man. I think it gives you 20% off. I really should look up how much it gives you off. But anyway, you can use that code, ULTRAOCRMAN, easy to remember uh, for any of your Mudgear orders. All right, let's jump into our guest. We got Christian Brown Johnson on the podcast. Christian, say hi. What's up, Evan, and everybody listening? How's yeah. it going? Good, good. So I'm going to read a, a little bit of his bio, and then we're going to jump into his background and a lot of his uh, incredible endurance accomplishments. So competed in Ninja Warrior Los Angeles 2019, came third at the 100-miler uh, Silver Moon in 2019 as well. Hit 100 miles at World's Toughest Mudder twice, uh, 2021 and 2023. Um, competed in the Ironman World Championship 2023. Four team Toughest Mudder first place finishes. Uh, super impressive. So, Christian, I've been meaning to get you on for a while. I've been getting really lazy about getting guests, but uh, glad I glad I could get a, your attention and get you on the podcast. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's always fun, especially talking to a legend like yourself. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this. I'm just trying to keep up with you, man. I'm just trying to keep up with you. <laughs> no, I think it's been the opposite way. I've been chasing you around the WTM <laughs> course for like nine years now. <laughs> Have you been doing it that long? Yeah. Um, I, I started, let's see my first WTM. I was 20. So with the COVID year, we didn't have an event that year. I believe this year was my eighth. Oh, wow. Uh, no, let's see. Eight. Uh, yeah, I believe it's my eighth or ninth WTM. I don't know. I've, I've lost count, but I've done it every year since I, since I was 20 years old. No way. I don't, I don't think I realized that. I thought like a couple of years ago, you just showed up in the, like, in like the top five and I was like, Christian Brown Johnson, 100 miles, of course. He's always been this good. Crushing it. <laughs> no, so, man. I when I first started, um, I mean, I was just kind of like one of those weekend warrior athletes that just fell in love with tough mutters, and you know that kind of projected me into the athlete I've become today. With you know doing various uh, ultra endurance events, but um, I, I went from doing you know 50 miles, and then I think it was three years, three years of 60 miles. I couldn't break that. Then I had an 85 mile year and then 195 and a hundred. So it, it took me some time to, to, to get to that point. But, um, yeah, that, that, that's probably why you didn't notice me until later on. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think a lot of people, their goal is 50 and then they're like, they hit 50 or they hit like just above 50. And then they're like, their next goal is like, well, I got to get 75, which is a, a large increase. Um, but you've managed to do that. So like, what was your secret between going from 60 and then jumping all the way to 85? Just dedication, uh, lots of specific training. Um, I'd say those first four years or so, you know, I, this event takes a lot of, of mental strength, you know, you know, just the grit to push through the pain. And I, I think at that time, you know, I was letting, letting a lot of the discomfort um, at the event really get to me and just my body it, um, long-term endurance wise just wasn't there mm -hmm. uh, I was mostly just doing CrossFit every day and you know more of like short high intensity stuff um, not really training long distance running or you know long endurance so once I started to change up my training a little bit um, 
you know, and, and just built, being accustomed to the WTM format after, you know, doing it for four years, you kind of go in knowing what to expect and what, what you're going to be feeling. Um, so that's, you know, jumping to 85, I think I just had a really good year at that point. Um, and then getting to a hundred, uh, I'd actually hired a coach and started working, um, with my coach and we were doing a lot of um kind of triathlon based training and you know i went from from being the type of uh person that would go out and run and run as hard as i could because i thought that'd be good for me to running slow at a zone two all Mm -hmm. the time you know it was it was a huge difference and kind of had to let my my training ego down as as i would call it um, but that, that totally changed my projection as far as being, you know, an ultra endurance athlete. Nice. Yeah. I, sometimes people are like, Hey, Evan, do you have Strava? Can I follow you on Strava? And I'm like, you don't I'm like my Strava. Well, I, I don't use Strava, but if I did, it would be the most boring thing in the world. It's like another slow run, another slow run. Fantastic. Oh, a longer, slow run. It's like, yeah, it's, it's really unexciting guys. You don't, you don't want to see what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> All yeah, right, let's, that, that was great. Let's. I want to jump back in time though. So tell me, like, tell me who you were in high school slash college as a, as an athlete. Like, were you were you always interested in sports and just kind of found endurance, um, like in your twenties, or were you uh, someone who's I don't know? Tell me a little bit about your background there. Yeah. So growing up, um, I played a few sports as a kid. Uh, I was mostly into riding dirt bikes and skateboarding and BMX, you know, stuff like that. And in high school, um, I played football all four years of high school. Wasn't a very talented athlete whatsoever. <laughs> um, but I had, you know, a lot of dedication, determination. And, um, you know, I showed up every day and gave it my best. Uh, I also played golf, which uh, if you ask me to play golf now, um, I will typically say no because I suck <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and I'm always having people ask me to play. It seems like everyone's playing these days. But um Golf was fun, not really uh, any relation to ultra endurance whatsoever. But after high school, going into college, um, I raced a little bit of motocross uh, towards the end of high school and and shortly after. And then, um, you know, really got heavy into CrossFit. And then that's when I did my first Tough Mudder in Tahoe. Um, I think it was back in 2013. And then from there, uh, I just fell in love with it and just took off. I mean, I was going all over the place doing as many events as I could every year. Um, didn't play any sports in college, just went and got my degree. And, um, I was always into, I had a lot of other hobbies at the same time. I was into rock crawling with, you know, my my Jeep Cherokee that I had all decked out and lifted and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, then I found a huge passion for, for the OCR world. And that's kind of where my, my athletic career, I would say, took off uh, when I was about 18 years old. Gotcha, gotcha. So you've been involved in the sport for a long, I mean, that's like, you've essentially been from the beginning. Like 2013 is before the first OCR World Championships. It's like, you know, I guess that's the third World Stuffest Mudder at that point, like the third Spartan World Championship. So it's basically the beginning of the sport. And, you know, I feel like the average lifespan for an athlete lifespan right average time participating for an athlete in the sport is like three to four years um what's what what's been the key or what do you think has been you know why have you been involved so long for like the last decade 
I, I just, I just love the challenge. Um, I mean, to be honest, I feel like it's built me into the person I am today. Um, at, at 21, shortly after college, I was, I was working for, um, a farm management company and I left and just, you know, on a whim and started my own business and took off from there. And, you know, having, it, it took, it takes a lot of risk and just determination to, to step into that direction as far as career goes. And I think from doing, you know, from being around the OCR community and doing all these tough mutter events and these hard things leading up to that, you know, I was confident in myself that, you know, I could, I could do that. Right. You know, I've done these extreme things and, and I know I can, you know, just grit through it and, and make it happen. And I've, I've just loved what, what the sport can build inside of you, um, you know, just as a human being. And I always tell people that it's, it's, it's not just going out and running an OCR event. I mean, a, a regular Tough Mudder event is one thing, right? You know, you can finish that in an hour and a half, but a world's toughest mutter event, that's, that's a life-changing event. Um, yeah. It's, it's not like anything else I've ever done. I mean, I've done some hard ultra endurance events and world's toughest mutter is always a learning experience. I always come out of it. I think as a, as a better human being, and I've just, I, I find, I always seem to find another gear inside of me mentally and physically um, every time I do it. So that's, that's why I've always gone back. That's why I enjoy doing, you know, all of their endurance series, especially the, you know, the overnight toughest. I've been doing those as a four man team uh, the past few years. So it's, you know, uh, kind of a long answer, but um, just giving some perspective to to why I've you know stuck around and what it's kind of done for me. No, that's great. I love like that was all that was all spot on, and I like hearing the and how the, how it crosses over into into real life. Because yeah, going going off and doing your own business that is a big um, that's a big endeavor. I'll be honest, like I, I mean, I have a day job and then I have like strength and speed on the side. Like I'm not, I'm not like I'm going all in on strength and speed. I'm like. Yeah, this is this is my this is like a backup slash supplemental or supplemental thing, um, in addition uh-huh. to in addition to my normal work, which is a steady, consistent income. So, yeah, now you you got always got to have that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you applied. I saw you. You obviously you competed in Ninja Warrior in 2019. Why why applied? Why did you apply to Ninja Warrior? And what was like your hook to get on the show? Right, because like everyone, you need something. You need something that sets you above the crowd. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny. I, I kind of just applied on a whim. Um, everybody in the, my family, just from seeing me do tough mutters and all that, they're like, Hey, you should sign up for Ninja warrior. So I said, all right, well, sure. Like, you know, I, I don't really have a huge interest to do it, but I'll sign up. So, <laughs> so I, I applied and a producer reached out to me and said, Hey, we like your story and your background and what you do for work. Like, let's, let's get you on the show. So next thing I know, I'm going to Universal Studios in LA and uh, doing the event. I, I did not make it far. I think there's about two seconds that I got uh, of, of airtime on that show. <laughs> but but um, well, just Welcome to the club. Welcome to the yeah. club. <laughs> <laughs> you did it as well, didn't you? I've done it three times. Yeah. And oh, I've, been on, sure, I've, been on air t- I've been on air twice. And one of them was... I don't know if it was the shortest run in American Ninja Warrior history, but it's got to be pretty damn close. It was a disaster, um, but you know, it was still it was still a really cool experience. 
So yeah, and, and it was it was really interesting because you know obviously as you know they have you show up at like eight o'clock at night and they start doing the event and I was one of the last people to run it and we had rain delays and all kinds of stuff so I was there from eight p.m. and I ran the course at like four fifteen a.m. the next day. Mm. So I was out there all night long watching everybody and I made it through the first obstacle, got on the second one and jumped to grab the bar on this, you know, or you're on this teetering like platform thing that will drop you. So you have to jump and grab this bar that slides down this, this, this rail system and like backflipped right off of that. So I'm like, well, Hey, that was fun. This is a fun 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And the fact that you got on the first uh, first time you applied is pretty crazy. I know I've got a lot of friends who uh, apply year after year and it's like eight years later, they finally like get a call and or a lot of people just don't get a call at all. So, yeah, yeah no, I was actually pretty surprised, but I was just thought, hey, they like me. So let's go for this. Yeah. <laughs> like, and let's make it happen. Did you did you apply again in 2020 or 2021 or would you kind of shelve it? <laughs> I, I think I applied one more time um, and I, I didn't hear back or anything, but I've thought about applying again just to, to go back on and see if I can make it further. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I got in the first year and then I was, I was like, well, I've got their attention. Might as well keep going. So been the last three years, but they filmed two That's seasons awesome. last year. So I don't think like, I don't, I, there was no application period this year. So I think they're just going to run the second season they filmed last year, this year. And then we'll see, nice. we'll see what happens. Like, are they, I don't know. I don't follow the ninja community that closely. So if anyone has heard updated news as far as like, Hey, they're, the show's going to get canceled or they're, you know, they're just kind of, I, the rumor was they were kind of filming a second season due to the writer strike. And they were worried they were, they wouldn't be able to like film, um, film another season for the show. Uh, yeah. That makes we'll sense. See. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, uh, what's your what's your day job? My day job. So I run an agricultural services business. So I've for about the past seven seven or eight years, I've been providing um, various services for other farmers, um, and that's that's mostly kind of a seasonal deal. So um, I get real busy in the summertime and a little bit, you know, in the fall time. Um, winter time's a little sparse, but um, I'm also a realtor, and I have a company that invests in um flips you know just real estate properties gotcha. so kind of all over the place so you know i do have a lot a lot of free time um depending on the time of year so um yeah it's uh it's always it's always tough to explain to someone what i do because <laughs> half the time it doesn't look like i'm doing anything but i'm, I'm always doing something <laughs> yeah it sounds like you got a good a good flexibility in your schedule especially for like you know Sometimes these training runs take forever, you know, and you're like, oh, I just need to block off four hours today. That's all. And you're like, like oh, yeah. how do I do that if I have a normal job? It becomes kind of difficult. So oh, I, I I know. Yeah. With so I'm I'm mostly um well this whole past year and even right now, I've been doing like Ironman training blocks. That's been like 95% of my training for about probably the last year and a half. So it's just like heavy weeks. I mean, anywhere from 16 to 22 hours a week of training. So yeah. I, I call that my, my second full-time job. Yeah, that's a lot. And yeah. uh, you, you competed Ironman World Championships last year, which 
Uh, I don't think people understand how quite of a big of an accomplishment that is because just getting to that event is incredibly hard. So how, where and uh, when did you qualify? So I raced my first Ironman uh, at Ironman Texas last April, and I got a spot for Worlds. Um, I think I was 12th, uh, 12th place in my age group, somewhere somewhere around there, 12th or 13th. And they had, um, so they gave nine spots uh, to my age group. And um, so I, I got the roll down, basically. Um, some people didn't take the spot to go, so it rolled down to me and I was able to to take a spot so i did and then i got to race ironman worlds uh in nice france in september which was just such an incredible experience um the course was insane the elevation gain on the bike was eight thousand feet um and i mean we're just going through the hills of nice you're going through all these little towns and valleys and cliff sides and it's, you're jamming downhill into the you know, hairpin U-turns. It's just, it was incredible. Such a good experience. Cool. Are they doing the thing where they're, again, I've fallen out of following Ironman. Are they, they, they alternating every year between Kona and a different location? And then yeah, like, so, females as well? Yeah. So 23 was the first year they split them. Um, I think just because of an issue with too many people at Kona at once or something like that. But uh, so men's was in Nice, France last year and women's were, were in Kona. So now they're going to swap it this year. So I'm racing Ironman Texas again this April and hopefully I can get a spot to go to Kona. So then I can uh, check that one off the bucket list and say I raced both Ironman worlds. Right. And is it always going to be in France? Is that what they decided? Or is that uh, just like, is that one going to hop around? Do you know? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think they're going to probably stick to, to Nice. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect location for it. And uh, the, the amount of support from the community and just the people that live there was just incredible. There's so many people out there watching the event. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I've, I've never done a uh, Ironman world. Champ. I've never been, to, I, I have been to Kona on vacation. And while we were there, I was, I insisted on biking part of the course and running part of the course. So I think I ran something like 15 miles of the course and I biked, I don't know, I don't know. 30 or 40 miles of the course and then i swam like 100 yards just <laughs> so I, was yeah. like, I was like well i gotta do a little bit more so i you know i gotta check all three blocks so I, I, my yeah. swim was really short um because i didn't feel like i wasn't gonna about to like swim out into the middle of the ocean by myself so <laughs> yeah it's kind of a creepy feeling yeah but they did have the finish line mark there which is pretty cool like so even though i the race wasn't going on when i was there i can't remember what month i was there the finish line there's like a a post there and it's like this is the iron man world championship finish line you're like oh that's kind of cool so nice and w- awesome. the other thing that was really nice was the it's really easy to because it's an island and there's not that many roads it was really easy for me to like look up the race route and not be like oh well i have to take 50 turns it's like take these three turns and you're like oh that's it sweet so yeah that's that's nice when it's <laughs> less uh less of a hassle. I mean, on the bike course where you're not having to do a bunch of turns and all kinds of crap. Yeah. So what, what lessons, um, either pulling from obstacle course racing into triathlon or pulling from triathlon into obstacle course racing, would you say kind of crossover slash apply? Um, I would say just the endurance, uh, I, I would say just, long long endurance yeah um not having 
so like I kind of really put that to test this last year, right? Like my whole year was, like I said, basically Ironman training. I mean, I, I, I ventured off a little bit here and there to add in some more running, some more trail specific running, um, and just doing a little bit different weight training, but just the volume of training for an Ironman, um, on the legs between biking and running and, you know, doing the mostly zone two training and, you know, then your 20 to 30% a week of high intensity training on the legs, um, it transfers over very well to, to a world's, I, I would say from my personal experience. Um, now world's transferring over to like Ironman. I don't really know. I mean, I would say probably mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, being, being out uh, swimming and biking and running for anywhere from, you know, nine to 12 hours or however long it takes you to finish. You know, that's a long period of time. And a lot of people that haven't been, doing you know have never done a physical activity for that amount of time you know just that might scare the crap out of them and and make them crumble but having done you know 24 25 hour events where you're just pushing and thrashing yourself the whole time like you you mentally that build that up in your head to where you know okay 12 hours uh, that's that's gonna be nothing we we got this yeah yeah no yeah that's that's kind of where i see both of those kind of from at least what what I take away from from both transferring over to each other. Got it. Yeah. No. Good. Good. Absolutely. Good lessons. Uh, back and forth for triathlon. Very well known as a very expensive sport. Have you gone like? Have you gone off the deep end with like the bike and all the <laughs> all the gear? Because you, I mean, you can spend ten thousand dollars and you're like, cool. Now you're not embarrassed when you're on the start line. And you're like, that's it. I'm not, I'm not like the top. They're like, no, not even close. You're like, oh. That's so funny you bring it up because, uh, yeah, I guess I could say I've gone off the deep end. Um, okay. I, I, I started, okay. I started doing just triathlons, um, in 2019, just, I wanted to just mix it up a little bit, try something else. And I got just a regular road bike. Um, it's like a $1,500 road bike, got the gear I needed. And then about a year and a half ago or two years ago, um, I picked up, uh, a fully carbon fiber TT bike. I did not buy it brand new. I bought it used. So I got a really good deal on it. Um, but then from there, as I started to, you know, ride that bike and, and learn about it and all these different things you can get, I, I think before Ironman worlds, I mean, I was, I was buying all kinds of different parts for it. Mm. I mean, I, I learned to like do everything to the bike myself other than a couple things. Um, so, I mean, I've got all the tools I've got, you know, I've changed the saddle. I, I, well, I got a proper bike fit, which those are not cheap to, to do. You know, when you go and you sit there and you have someone literally put lasers on you and make little adjustments. Um, and I mean, just helmets and tri suits. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've spent a <laughs> lot of money, at least just this last year, like the bike I have, it's, it's, uh, I think, a 2017 model Cervelo P5X. Um, and, you know, I got a really good deal on it. But if you were to go and buy that bike brand new with, like, all the components I have on it, you're probably looking at, like, 15K. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, I've got all, all the electronic shifting, which is oh wow, which is nice. I, I, I love it. It's, it's I bad. That- like, it's so easy. 
to give you an idea how long I've been out of the triathlon game, that was, I think, a new technology right when I was leaving. Like, it was like, there's a couple bites with electronic shifting. And I was like, what? Craziness. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, it's just all Bluetooth, um, which you can run into some trouble. I've seen some people, like, have that the um like some issues with the battery boxes mm -hmm. during their actual Ironman race to where they got stuck in the same gear and they couldn't oh, shift geez. out of it and there's, and there's nothing you can do but it's pretty rare for that to happen but I mean mo most people are rolling around with electronic shifting these days if you know if you're racing Ironman but yeah you can definitely definitely go off the deep end price wise I know um, so I, I coach for NVDM coaching and the, um, the owner of that company, she's actually my personal coach. And, uh, one of the athletes, um, he's sponsored by diamond bikes and his bike that they decked him out with is like $23,000. <laughs> just, uh, just unreal. It's like the price of my car. It's like the price yeah, of my it's, car. It's, it's unreal. I mean, you can. Yeah. And that, I'd, I'd say that's probably on the higher end. Like, I don't know how much more you can spend than that on a TT bike. Uh, I mean, for, for like a really, really good TT bike, you can spend 10 K. I mean, you can even, you can even get a really good one for a lot less than that. But I mean, $27,000, like that's just, <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah, I was I was on the verge right when I, I was still doing triathlons, right when I kind of found OCR. And I was on the verge of like dropping five thousand dollars on a bike. And because they were uh -huh. having like I, I can't remember how much it was worth. Or maybe it was it, yeah, I think it was like five thousand dollars. All carbon fiber, brand new. And they were having like this huge sale. And I was like, Oh, I should do it while like right now while it's Christmas. And I remember like driving by the bike store and be like, Should I do it today? And I'd be like, No, let me wait a day. Let me like think about it. And um I didn't buy it and I haven't done a triathlon since. So glad I, <laughs> so glad I didn't buy it. Cause it was I had just found obstacle course racing, but like I hadn't like gone off the deep end committed to it. And uh I'm just glad I didn't glad I didn't buy it. So as someone who's <laughs> raced like the cheaper end of bikes and the higher end of bikes, or what do you think the percentage like how much faster do you get, right? Like when you when you yeah. when you upgrade your bike, is it like a one percent? increase or is it like oh no you can really tell the difference I, I could probably put it into perspective into watts um and if, if any triathletes are listening they, they would understand this but okay. uh, I, i'm sure you would yourself but um i would say going from like a 1500 uh, aluminum frame road road bike to a fully carbon fiber everything tt bike um I would say you could probably pick up, I mean, at least on average in, in miles per hour, probably three to five miles an hour on average and probably 30 plus Watts. Jeez. I was so not, I was not expecting that much of a jump. That is crazy. Yeah. Cause I mean, just, just being in that arrow position and um, you know, just all the aerodynamics of the bike itself and the lightweight and everything. And, you know, if you do carbon fiber uh, wheels and all that, it's just, yeah, you're just cutting right through the air. So it's, it's a huge difference, but you know, like you said, you know, you can definitely go off the deep end and you start buying something here and there. That's going to be a little more aerodynamic right, yeah. and a little lighter, but, oh, here's a thousand dollars and here's a thousand dollars. Right.
It's, I remember, it's I remember the last triathlon I did. They're like, yeah, you can rent these. Uh, you can rent these wheel, these arrow wheels for, and it was like a couple hundred dollars to rent them for the day. And I was like, oh geez. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> but yeah, buying the wheels but... separately, I think it was like a thousand dollar per wheel. I think it was at the time. Oh yeah, they it's probably they old. That's pricey. That, that's probably bottom uh, of the line arrow, and that's probably they probably you can't probably can't even <laughs> buy wheels for that much anymore. So, yeah, I know for I, I have the NV um, I think six point five carbon fiber wheels. I think for the wheel set, um, the price tag these days is like twenty five hundred bucks or three grand somewhere around there. Which is which is insane to think about. Yeah. So let's let's say someone was getting into triathlon now. Um, at what point do you do you like? All right, you should start. Like a road bike is probably no good. You should probably start. Um, you should probably start investing a little more money. And would you base it on like length of race or maybe um, like certain qualifications? Just just your opinion. Just your two cents. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, if, if you're going into the sport of triathlon, say you're just doing Olympics or sprints uh, or super sprints, um, you know, if you you're going to have people that are going to show up out there with with some legit like Ironman decked out bikes, right? But you know, if you just want to go out there and have some fun and want to keep the sport cheap, I'd say just just pick up a good road bike. Um, you could always add aero bars onto that bike if you want to. Um, you'll be in a little bit of a different position than you would be on a TT bike because you have more of a drop in the front on a TT bike. Um, but you can get away just just fine with a road bike, and you know you can go all in on all your triathlon gear to start for I'd say two thousand bucks. I actually that's. That's exactly right. Cause that, that's what I did when I first started doing triathlon. I, I set like a price. So I'm going to spend 2000 bucks to get everything. Yeah. And I was able to do it for about two grand. Um, now, if you want to get really competitive, you can step up to getting a bike, you know, in the five, $6,000 range. Or if you want to be like top end bikes, anywhere from 10 to 15 K, it just depends on what your goals are. I mean, if you right. really want to, goals and budget and time commitment yeah yeah yeah. like if you're going to be racing half ironmans and and full ironmans and you want to be very competitive and you know qualify for worlds and stuff like that like i'd say probably probably get into that higher end range or at least you know get yourself a carbon fiber tt bike gotcha have you done any non-iron man sponsored triathlons or like endurance ones have you done only done Ironman brand? Uh, I've, I mean, I've done a bunch of local Olympics and sprints. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've done, I don't know, quite a few. Yeah. I have a few that I, I've done just about every year since I started doing triathlons um, locally, and I've done the Donner Lake uh, half. So it's a, it's a half Ironman distance, but it's not Ironman sponsored. But that's at Donner Lake over by Lake Tahoe. Um, that that one was really fun. Super super hilly, um, really really beautiful swim, and the run was around the lake a couple times. Um, but I, I did I didn't have my TT bike at that time. I just did that on my road bike. Um, but yeah, other than Ironmans, those are the other triathlons I've done. Gotcha. How how did the uh, Donner one compare to like Ironman or half Ironman branded events? As far as price, as far as like experience, as far as athlete support, et cetera. 
I mean, price, it was a, a fraction of, of Iron Man's, um, but they really get you on the Iron Man side. <laughs> it's, I feel like they just throw out a price and charge whatever they want. People will, will definitely sign up. Um, yeah, I think the Donner Lake one was like 200 bucks or something like that. And um, I'd, I'd say there was a couple hundred people there racing it. So it was, it was a lot smaller. You know, you're, you're on the, you start on, well, you, you swim the lake and then your transition area is set up right along the edge of the lake and you take off and go up Belner Pass and ride out for a little while and come back. And um, that, I think th that day it was in the summertime, that whole lake was packed full of like tourists and people. So as we're doing the run, we're running down the road, like dodging cars and people out there going swimming in the lake and stuff like that. So a, a little different because then you go right yeah. in Ironman and everything's blocked off for you. You don't have to worry about like traffic or people being on your running course or nothing. Like you, you have the road and the road is yours. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, uh, I've done a couple halves, non, I've never done an Ironman official half. I've done, uh, whatever. And then I've done a full iron one and then a full Ironman one, then a full iron distance one. Right. So if anyone's not familiar, what we're talking about the brand Ironman is, it's just a it's a brand, right? So they they have two point four mile swim, one hundred and twelve mile bike, twenty six point two mile run. But other brands will put on the same distance race, and uh, it's not a it's they call it Iron Distance instead of Iron Man, right? So yeah, mm. Sim similar experience. I found I think the full Iron I did was about half the price. Uh, but again, when I showed up on race day, it was like I just thought there was so many people, so much support, so many aid stations. Roads are blocked off. They gave me like a a backpack when i checked in and i was like oh it's cool i got a free backpack yeah the free backpack was a couple hundred dollars but i had forgotten how much <laughs> i paid at that point i was just excited to get a backpack at that point so it was um yeah good stuff yeah yeah i know it's like it's just like iron man's you know it's you get a backpack every single time you go to one and all this other stuff and and then and then they have a huge tent full of all the iron man gear that you can buy the merch baby yeah yeah spend a fortune on it as well if if you think tough mutter merch is expensive go to an iron man tent <laughs> yeah it, I, I bought like funny. a tri top and tri shorts at the the one iron man uh, my official iron man i did so nice yeah got to represent yeah got to and the m dot have you do you have an m dot tattoo that's like the one thing everyone i feel like everyone does who gets super deep into it no, I I can't go down that road. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I'm dedicated, right? And I'm I'm even more dedicated to to the sport of world's toughest butter. But um, yeah, I just I can't do it. I've got one tattoo across the top of my back that I've had since I was 18, and that's the only one I've ever gotten. <laughs> All right. And people say you can't just get one, which I don't know how, how true that is, but I've got two. They're not very big, but yeah. <laughs> yeah i know it's uh i've got some family members that just keep getting tattoos and i'm just thinking huh you really put that on yourself like, I, really? I feel what, the same what, way what was the, pur what was the purpose i mean i know you're you're probably addicted to it but just just why I, I i think i overthink it too much for myself personally and i'm i just think do i really want to look at that on myself forever yeah <laughs> you know yeah 
So the uh, Drift 101, um, I don't think I mentioned that in your bio. It was a winter sled pull ultra you did in uh, 2021. Is that the same one uh, Jake Kramsby did? Was that yes. So so that that guy, man, I, I'm so thankful. He's one of my best friends. But being being one of his best friends, you get suckered into doing some <laughs> crazy stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I can give a little brief background on that one if you want me to. Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. So, so he had done it and um I believe it was it, it was coming up to the next year of 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 the the event and he said, "Hey, you should do this event like registrations open right now." Like this was like late at night and I get this text. And so I pulled up, I'm looking at it and just the way we are, you know, I I immediately sign up for it having no experience like other than snowboarding and snow and stuff like that, like no experience pulling a sled through a snow or, or even being in negative temperatures. I mean, I live in central Valley, California, where it's 110 plus degrees in the summer and the winter time, it maybe gets down to 20 at the coldest where I'm at. Um, you know, and I, I've been in some cold places before, but this event was, was insanely cold. So I, let me backtrack a little, I sign up, and then he's like, this is all the gear you're going to need. And I start ordering a ton of gear from REI. REI became my best friend for a couple months. And I'm getting like all this, these mountaineering pants and like this jacket that can withstand negative 50 degree temperature and all this crap. Ordered a, a kid's sled and my own, uh, I got fiberglass poles and all these things. And I, I basically built out the sled myself which took way too much time and way too much money when I could have just bought something that was already done. But I said, Hey, I want, I want the full experience. I'm going to build my own sled and do all this stuff. So going out to the event, show up to the airport with this big ass sled with my bag on it, like looking like a goofball and everyone's staring at me and I'm just like, Hey, I'm going to do a sled pool. Like, <laughs> Just don't worry about me. Uh, get to, um, wyoming and drive out to a hotel where i was staying for for one night or whatever it was before the race by myself you know i didn't have anybody go with me and um first night i got there i went out on a run and it's like negative 10 degrees and i'm like i've never been in that cold of weather and i'm like holy crap this is gonna be intense so show up race morning pull all my stuff out of the car and I ended up getting back in the car and cranking the heater because I was freezing. Um, I'm like, what am I doing? So get get my ass onto the, the start line. And I don't, I don't know a single person there. I've got my sled packed down with like 30 to 40 pounds worth of all the mandatory gear. Um, and we just, we take off. It's like negative 18 degrees the first, right when we started um take off and just start going and um i so I'll, I'll fast forward through it all but so i remember the first night i was up at about like ten thousand feet of elevation the highest point of the course and we had blizzard conditions and i, I was out there by myself my, just my little headlamp on just staring at the snow in front of me hoping i could catch all the markers you know the course markers um, and the cool thing about this race was 
there was nobody out there to help you. So if you had to drop out, you had to try to reach someone or, or catch one of the snowmobilers coming by to tell them, Hey, I'm ready to like, I'm done. I need to quit. And then you had to pay them 200 bucks to get you out of there. So yeah. <laughs> so that amazing. was, that's amazing. That was... <laughs> I feel like we should start doing that at other races. Like, Oh no, oh, you, I... you, you pay a hundred dollars for us to take you off the course at worlds. Oh, I, I know it, it just, it keeps you honest with yourself. You're like, do I really want to spend another 200 bucks on this race? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I just, I kept just trucking along through this event and, um, they had little, these little cabins out in the middle of nowhere where there would be, it was like an aid station. You go in there and people just looked miserable and had a fire going. So you know, I'd stop at those real quick and get something. I kept moving along, moving along. Um, ended up getting in with a pack of guys towards the end of the of the event and kind of sticking with them. And everybody was hallucinating so bad. Nobody had slept. Um, we're like 15, 20 miles out from finishing this thing. Um, and I remember we kind of all got a little split up at one point. It starts dumping snow. And, one, and the guy I was with, he's from like Louisiana or something like that. He has a super thick accent and he tells me, he's like, I'm going to go ahead and start walking on home. And I looked at him and I, and I was, I was totally like seeing stuff on the ground. You know, I, I, I thought I was walking through water, like ocean water that like, hmm. that's how messed up we were just from not sleeping and being awake for so long. And uh, I had enough mental clarity in me still to tell him, Hey, let's, Let's pull out our bivvies. Let's let's just jump in them and uh, wait out this you know this little snowstorm for a little bit. So you know I get mine and I'm just sitting there for an hour, can't sleep, even though I'm just exhausted. And uh, so once the the snow it stops snowing, we get up and I get him going. I said, "Hey, I'm gonna take off and finish this thing." We're like nine miles out. We had already come up on the the end of the race time so you had 48 hours to finish it and we had already hit that point so i thought well damn like i'm not going to be able to finish this they're going to come take me off course but i i said i'm going to finish this thing regardless on my own two feet so i take off i think i had about 10 9 to 10 miles left and a snowmobiler one of the um volunteers on the snowmobile comes up i said hey man i know i'm over time i want to finish this thing like what, what do we need to do? And he said, well, this year has been crazy. So many people have dropped out because of the snow conditions and everything that if you finish today, you're a finisher. There, there's no time limit right now. Oh, wow. So I said, sweet, let's get this thing done. And I just trek through. I remember I would take like 10 steps and then lean onto my poles and close my eyes for like two seconds and then get back up and then keep walking. And I kept doing that over and over and over. So I, I finished it at this, you know, you come up to this little, this tiny, like little resort area of these cabins and they have this little restaurant and I walk inside and sit down and it was like, just all this like pressure on my shoulders just felt like just lifted. And I'd been awake for over 60 hours, had, hadn't slept at all, just covered 101 miles through the snow, pulling this heavy ass sled that I had built <laughs> and, um, I remember just sitting down and I, I ordered a big ass steak and someone bought me a drink and I just, I sat there and ate and just 
uh, felt incredible. But yeah, that's that those types of events, man. It's it's a whole nother world. You just you're in your head the whole time, and you're just walking and staring at snow for hours and hours and hours on end. So a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, wild. So did Jake do it after you or before you, or the same year? He so he did it before me. Um, and he's, he's also done the arrowhead 135, and then, um, a little over a year ago, we did the Tuscobia 160. So he went into that with a little bit of a foot injury. Um, and Tuscobia, I mean, it's, you, you don't have to take much with you. So the rules are you're following this old rail trail along all these towns and um you can go go off course and go into a restaurant into gas you can go get whatever you need basically there's no like strict rules on that so we did that one we ended up stuck we ended up just doing half of it so it's 80 miles out and there's like a checkpoint and then 80 miles back his foot was acting up and you know we we wanted to stick together on it and he's like you know i'm not going to risk this and we just we made the decision just to stop at the halfway point finish it at 80 miles um, but that, that was an incredible, uh, event as well. Um, uh, that was a little bit daunting because you, it's like all these straightaways and you just look down as far as you can see. And it's just a straight path with yeah. trees on your left and right hand side. And you, and you might come up to a corner where you turn right or left. And then it's like miles of just straight <laughs> and just like, oh my gosh, how, you know, how much more of this do we have? But, um, yeah, that, that was a good event as well. He was supposed to supposed to do um, the ITI 350 this last year. The Iditarod 350 miler on a foot pulling sled. And after that event, just knowing you know where his foot was and stuff like that, he he decided to to back out of that one. But I'm like, dude, you're gonna go put yourself through 350 miles of walking through snow in Alaska? Like that's that's crazy. But people do that for a thousand miles. I mean, if, if you look up the ITI 1000 um, on a foot, it takes an average of like 30 days for people to finish that. Wow. wow. Yeah. And you can do it fully unsupported or I think like semi supported, whatever they call it. But yeah, I can't imagine being out in the snow for 30 something days pulling a sled. I mean, it's that's just that's a whole different ball game. It's like, it's like don't, don't you need to work at some point? <laughs> like that's just, yeah. it would be hard to get a take off for that amount of time and not be like, you know, Oh, I know. <laughs> like life is still yeah. going on for 30 days. So you need to like, things have to still be taken care of. And like your, your real life part of your job slash life. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I paced uh, Billy Richards when he was going for like the hundred mile, most hundred miles in a year world record. Um, and we, one of the, one the hundred mile I paced him on was a, was like a rail trail one. And it, uh-huh. so it wasn't in the snow, it was, you know, the weather was nice, but it was, it was that straight, straight line trees on both sides. And it got, tri- even, even just nice weather, it got trippy at night just cause it looked like you were just running into like a black hole, right? Like you, cause the, your light would only go so far and you're just like, it kind of it kind of was weird, and uh, I thought it was mentally. I thought it was in, in many respects. It was even though it was pancake flat. Uh, mentally, I thought it was kind of hard because you there's no turns, there's no change in atmosphere. It's just like it's almost like running on a treadmill where there's like that not there's not not a lot of changing around you. A little bit better than a treadmill, but 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Kind of like you're going to this black hole forever. Um, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta find somewhere deep in your brain to, to keep you occupied or at least to have someone there with you to talk to. <laughs> I also think it's funny when like, again, we list off your resume and some of the stuff you've done and you're like thought, and then you cite another distance and another race. And you're like, Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. But like people, we are so far off the spectrum of like the crazy scale. Like it, it becomes, people have trouble even grasping it. You know, like I, I was, I, my voice is all hoarse right now. Cause I was talking to uh, high schoolers yesterday for about, I don't know. I taught the entire day. I taught like seven periods where I basically tell them like my life story and I do some lessons learned and I talk a lot about endurance and kind of like that aspects you can take over into your life. And when I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I'm okay at like shorter OCRs, like 10 miles and less, but like where I really get good is like five hours and up into like the 24 hour range. And they were like, you can run for five hours. And it's like, well, this is like the, it's really not a big deal. Like I, they're like, you can run for 12 hours. Like, yeah, well, that's not a big deal either. And they're like, what is happening right now? It's like, oh, like, <laughs> listen, my friends also do crazy stuff. And like the guys I know, you know, we're, we'll be, you know, like you start telling, talking to Jake or one of the other guys uh, from World's Toughest, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do a 100 miler, you know, and next week, and people are like, oh, cool. And no one thinks twice about it. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like something people do. Um, it's, like, it's like, yeah, I got to go to the Home Depot next weekend. It's like, oh, I'm going to run a 100 miler. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. Stop it. You know, it's <laughs> just like, why, that's why I love this community because it's, it's so normal to us. And everybody else I talk to outside of this can't, can't comprehend it at all. And I always tell people, I'm like, just sign up for something like this. Just yeah. do it. And everyone's like, I'm not fit enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm like, I see all kinds of shapes and sizes and athletic conditions of people at a world's toughest butter. And I, you don't have to run a hundred miles, but if you can just put yourself out there for 24 hours, just moving, you're, you're pretty badass, and you're going to learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. There comes a point, I feel like in endurance racing, where it almost becomes embarrassing to tell people like the things you have planned because they're like, because it requires so much explanation about like training and how far and like what else you do. <laughs> like, like, wait, how far are you running? Like, don't you have things to do? It's like, oh, I do, but I prioritize things. And it's like, it's just not worth it. It's like, yeah, I'm an endurance athlete, period. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's really cool that you talk to high school. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Like what what got you into that? So uh the military's recruiting is uh not good right now. So um one of the things we're doing, uh so if anyone follows my social media, I'm also the I'm in charge of first infantry division's combatives program, so essentially soldiers fighting. So the last couple of days we went and visited a bunch of we visited one Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym and um three two two or three high schools and like basically taught them some jujitsu wrestling type thing to kind of like show like hey soldiers are real people we have a real job we're not we're not all idiots you know like a, m most of my staff has master's degrees for a fight house you would think the conversations we have are fairly high level like i mean they're we're talking about like geopolitics and like you know e economics and also or psychology and stuff like that um anyway it was part of it's part essentially part of a recruiting effort so uh, we go and train slash work with wrestlers and just kind of um, build rapport and teach them some moves. And then also we're like, what are you doing after high school? If, you, if you're interested in the military, there's a lot of great opportunities. If you're not interested in the military, who cares? We had fun today. Um, and then uh, we also, because of uh, my sister and my mom were both teachers, 
and I had gone and told them like about my experience in Iraq. I basically used that very similar format. And yesterday I basically told them about essentially my life story for, uh, you know, high school, college, military, and then endurance. And then I pull like five lessons learned for them to take away. Um, so just kind of something I kind of fell into and, uh, it's cool. Uh, telling my life story seven times in in a single day is, was a little bit much <laughs> you know, after, by the, by the second time, like I'm, I'm incredibly bored with myself, <laughs> but, uh, it was cool. It's also kind of, they had a really good, the group we went to see was a really good group. Um, it was a JROTC group and, uh, some, at some schools, the JROTC is very like, it's kids just want an easy A and they have no interest in the military. The school we went to, uh, a lot of them were like, yeah, we're, I'm seriously considering a career in the military or, or at least doing a, a term of service. And, uh, they seem like really good kids. So it was a cool experience. Nice. That's, that's really cool that, that you, you know, have the opportunity to do that and go tell people the, the crazy stories of, of what you endure through, uh, ultra endurance sports. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is, it is cool again. Cause I remember being in high school and being like there, I, I grew up in Long Island, New York, and I like the New York city marathon was a big thing. It was on TV all the time and be like, there are people who run 26 miles. That's physically impossible. <laughs> like you can't do that. Your the human body's not meant to run 26 miles. And I'm up there. I'm like, yeah, I do the 24 hour championship. I usually, I usually run around 90 miles and people are like you run 90 miles. I'm like, yeah, well with obstacles and there's mud and water and, I have to wear a wetsuit so I don't die of hypothermia. I'm like what? <laughs> like when do you yeah. pee? When do you pee? Well, I just pee my pants. You pee your pants? You know, I'm like, yeah, it's not, <laughs> a, it's not a big deal. Like, do you want to win or do you want clean, clean legs? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's like mind, mind melting at that point. <laughs> yeah. It becomes, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm shattering their worldview on like what, um, but like, what's cool is that, you know, who knows what these kids will do in the future, but I think it's cool that, you get some exposure to that and you're like, you're like, there's, there's just so much possibility on like what you can do and like how far you can go. And if you uh, commit yourself to something and you practice, right, you can, you can do things that were physically impossible a couple of years ago. Like you're, you're operating on like a different planet in a couple of years with like persistent effort. So. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I've seen that happen through from my first worlds to to yeah. now when i when i finished 50 miles in my first worlds and watched atkins do 100 and i literally remember telling myself i don't understand how that's humanly possible and, yeah. and I, I i literally was like i can never do this like that is unreal because i felt wrecked and like just destroyed after 50 miles and miserable and you know i just kept persisting and year after year just kept growing and uh then here I am, a two-time hundred-mile finisher. I'm like, okay, now I understand how you can yeah. do it. <laughs> so speaking of Tough Mudder, let's talk about what Tough Mudder events first on your calendar for 2024. So we've got Saudi Arabia uh, at the end of February. You're going to that one too, aren't you? I, I'm planning on. I, I just got to get approval. The Army does not like me traveling to the Middle East for funsies. Um, so I just got to get some <laughs> things signed off. So as of now, yeah. yes, I'm going. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I'm going to race as a four-man team with Elliot Reeve, Jake Ransby, and Scotty Campbell. Nice. Um, Scotty team. is, yeah, yeah. So we brought Scotty on. Um, we had we had to fill in a spot. So um, 
you know, I, I became good friends with Scotty this last year uh, on his, you know, just prep for his first Worlds. Uh, he did very well, and we thought, you know, he'd be a good team player to bring on. Um, so, yeah, we're going to show up and, and do the best we can. Um, what we're excited for, you know, just for the trip going out there, we're going to go to Dubai first. Nice. And just kind of get acclimated to the time change for a couple of days in Dubai and then fly out to uh, Al Ula where the race is um, that Friday morning and then race the, the next day. But um, yeah, well, we're stoked for it. I know VJ um, is showing up with a solid team oh. and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was, cur- I was curious if he was running individual or team. Cause I was like, Oh, he never steps into the ultra world. So I was like, Oh, this no. will be exciting. But I, He's running team, like okay. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. He put out a video and he was introducing his team, and he said, "Well, you know, none of you other teams should show up because we're going to come out there and win this thing." And I said, "Well, you know, isn't this your full time job? I would expect you to to expect to win, right? So I think you need some good competition out there." (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Does he have a? Do you know the guys on his team? Are they ultra guys Mm -hmm. or they more? short course fast guys honestly i've never even heard of the other guys mm-hmm. um but i do know that none of the four guys have ever done a tough mutter interesting so they've done spartans and i mean whatever else they do um the, i think everyone's kind of from different countries that's on his team but um yeah no they're gonna be a solid team they, they got they got a lot of experience um i think more so on the shorter uh endurance side but, um, you know, an eight hour race isn't much, especially if you're splitting it up between, you know, pairs of two. So taking breaks. yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll be a good challenge, but we're going to, we're going to throw down the best we can. And, you know, we have our, our main goal is first place, but, um, you know, and then we're going to, we're going to go in with, like I always say, going humble with a chip on your shoulder and give it all you got and, uh, hopefully take first. Yeah. Well, it's worked so far for you, for your team, for your team races. So. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see how it goes, and uh, I'm I'm just excited for the event in general. Um, the, the the amount of prize money is going to attract literally the best of the best, and it will be it will be a cool experience. Um, like even if if anyone's considering going and it's like, well, I'm not going to win the prize money. Who cares? Like I think just being on that start line and being on the course with those athletes, I think is going to be uh, it's going to be something really special. Something we don't you don't get the experience that often. So. Yeah, yeah, it's going to bring together a lot of you know Spartan guys and and tough mutter guys, and, and then the Europeans, just, the whole Eastern Hemisphere. Like, who knows? Who the hell knows is coming out of the woodwork there? You know, like I don't. Yeah, I don't, I, I know some of like the ones who come to OCRWC, but like there's a whole there's a whole group of people who I'm, I'm sure like that are endurance athletes that don't even do obstacle course racing that are going to fly in for this. So, it should be yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really really good event, R- really good experience overall too, and, and and something that really attracts me um, to this event is just the travel, going to, yes. to a new place, and and that's that's the the beauty behind a lot of these endurance races. You know, you get to explore the world from time to time, and and see see new cultures, and just have those life experiences. So that's something I'm really excited for. Any any concern uh, traveling to the Middle East? I know some people have some like hesitancy about going into the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, we are um, a couple hours from an active war zone uh, over there. So 
Um, I mean, I, I think we're going to be fine, but I know there's yeah. a lot of things popping off around Saudi right now. Um, I think yesterday or a couple of days ago, something happened over in Yemen and yeah, but you know, um, I think the race directors are, are going to, I mean, obviously if we're going to be in any, any harm, they're not going to let this event happen. So, um, you know, we've got about a month and a half left until the event. So hopefully nothing goes bad over there until then. And we can uh, all get out there and have some fun. Yeah. So as someone who's traveled through the Middle East a fair amount, I will say it's interesting to see how localized conflicts get. We're like, they'll be like, oh yeah, we don't go to that neighborhood. And you'll be like, there's like an active war in the next neighborhood and we're, we're safe here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're safe. It's not a problem. And you're like, seriously, <laughs> it becomes like, I know it's like only a country away, but it becomes very localized. Like people don't, travel outside of that area like it, it's bizarre um you feel like it would spill over really bad but it, it, it just doesn't you know they're they're staying in their specific area unless there's a specific target or reason for to come over um you're not going to have that and uh, saudi arabia is uh I, so i have not been specifically to saudi arabia but uh, i know hannibal the hannibal race owner did an event there once and i think uh yeah his event went off great i've i've heard uh nice things about the area it's uh one of the nicer kind of gulf cooperation council area kind of type of countries like kuwait dubai etc have you been to dubai yeah. at all is that your, no no be your first, my first time yeah dubai's cool too i've, I've been we my, my wife went there for a couple of days on our honeymoon and uh it's part after london and it was yeah cool it was fancy fancy middle east stuff which i'm sure al ula uh is also going to be really nice i just i've never i've never uh, I don't know that much about that that specific city, but I'm sure th they wouldn't put this much effort and this much prize money into a race and not and have it not be a, a beautiful experience. So they uh, Middle Easterners know hospitality very very good. I've when when I've gone there for work or gone there for racing, I've been treated in my opinion way better than I should be treated. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just like, a, I'm just like a random dude. I'm like, I'm not that big of a deal. They're like, oh, this is a huge deal. It's like, it's really, I'm really not a big deal. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's good to know for sure. Yeah. We're, we're all excited for it. And, um, you know, especially Dubai, I think I'm going to try to go skydiving when we're there for a few days. Um, just, just make it an extreme type of trip, have all the fun that we can. Yeah. Right on. So what else, yeah. uh, what else you have before we close out the podcast? What else you got coming up in 2024? Uh, so I've got Saudi Arabia and then I've got Ironman Texas in April. Um, probably got a few local triathlons I'm going to do. And then we're planning on doing uh, one of the toughest motor events as a team. Then depending on how Ironman Texas goes, if I qualify for Kona, I'll be going to Kona in October and then racing world's toughest in November um and then i'm at, i did put a 200 plus mile ultra on my list this year so um the only one i could really sign up for would be moab 240 which i've paced elliot at a couple times now but um that would be two weeks prior to kona and then kona is like three weeks prior to worlds so mm -hmm. that, that would be the most the the most extreme month ever. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, but we'll see. Um, I might be able to jump into another 200 mile race at some point. Cause I kind of have my summertime 
open right now, but I am getting married June 6th. So that's also nice. something important Congrats. that, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's huge. Um, so I, I, I can't forget that uh, this year. That's, <laughs> that's a very important date. <laughs> is, is your fiance an endurance athlete as well or no? So she was a collegiate volleyball player and then um, she coaches volleyball now um, out of college. Um, but she actually got her to do an ultra, what was it, two two years ago? Um, it, she, I, I signed up for a 100 miler and then she did the 24 hour version. So she trained, run, she ran for like three months, did all this training. And then went out there and did 73 miles in 24 hours. I was, so I was super proud of her. Just that's, that's awesome. She, she, she had never like really been a runner before. I mean, she's, she's a very good athlete, but without having that running experience to just jump into something like that was, and accomplish that was pretty awesome. Um, but no, she's actually in now doing uh, physique shows. So like all the stuff oh, up cool. on stage where, you know, like, like the bodybuilding type of stuff, like all, yeah. all, all natural stuff. I think that so, to me, that was, um, that really helped me. It sounds odd, but that helped me with obstacle course racing just because I, I mean, you know, with living with her, right. Would be is the amount of time and effort and like all consuming nature of it. It occupies every minute of your day, right? If, if you're yeah. not training, you, you got to be resting. And if you're not resting, you're, you're eating and if you're watching what you eat. So like it becomes 24 hours a day. You have to be like essentially on some sort of plan whether it be you know what you're eating and what you're doing and uh, things got to be scheduled like you can't be well i'll just go eat whatever out at the store like I, I can just grab fast food real quick if i'm running late or whatever like now you meal prepping and it's it was like all con life consuming so yeah 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 we're we're both really good like we, we stick to um a diet pretty strictly I mean, i've been on kind of a meal plan the past couple of years that I've, I've stuck to pretty damn close. I mean, we'll still go out and eat at places, but I always get something along the lines of what's in my normal diet and whatnot. But um, yeah, well, watching her go through like her, uh, her, her changes in calories, you know, from the bulking phase down to, you know, the cutting phase where she's eating like two protein shakes a day and just grumpy as hell. Oh, like, so oh grumpy, so angry. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm over here on an Ironman block eating 5,500 <laughs> calories a day. Like, and she's just staring at my food. And I'm like, well, you signed up for something different. So <laughs> that's funny. All right. Um, we're going to start wrapping things up. Uh, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. Surprised to know about me. So, when I was a kid, I was addicted to space, and my goal was to be an astronaut. And nice. uh, ob obviously, I, I mean, I still geek out over NASA and space things, but I knew everything about every planet when I was like eight years old. And that's the only thing I ever studied and just knew so much about. Then I ended up going into agriculture and real estate. So li life, life can definitely take a turn down the road <laughs> to different ventures. But um, yeah, if I could still be an astronaut today, I, I definitely would. Yeah, I was also obsessed with space as a child, and uh, I, I got to go to space camp as like my graduation gift from, I think it was like elementary school or something like that. Oh, and it was God. it was it was sweet. It was super sweet. <laughs> um, That's so cool. And then a couple of years ago, so actually it was 2015, I was working in Lebanon, and I got an email. So the 
they pull uh, a lot of astronauts from military. So I got an email like, you can apply to be an astronaut. And I was like, this is it. I should do it. And I started like reading the requirements. And I think I think I needed a hard sciences degree, uh, which I don't have. So I think that disqualified me. But there was like an hour of my life where I was like starting to figure, I was like, can I be an astronaut still? Maybe I should do that. Um, and uh, That would be sweet. sweet yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. I, I would assign that thing and, and applied to a school for that science degree immediately. <laughs> the, it's so hard to like become an astronaut if you're if you're not in the military. I mean, just the schooling. And uh, I think you have to what you have to get your pilot's license regardless, like have flight hours and stuff like that. I don't even know. I don't even know the requirements. Um, OK, but we were talking I, I was talking about with one, one of my coworkers yesterday about um you know, like, I think, I think we're removed from time far enough, like with us landing on the moon that it's like, oh yeah, of course we went to the moon and landed on the moon. But like, when you go back in time, it is the most, it is the most crazy thing I think we've, the human race has ever done. It is so absurd because, um, I was at the, the National Air and Space Museum uh, a couple years ago and they were talking about like one of the missions that predated Apollo, um, for, for unmanned uh, like drones essentially landing on the moon, like the Ranger program. And like, they're going through, like they're talking about the history of the Ranger program. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, like 50% of the, the unmanned things hit the moon. And I was like 50%. So we were at 50% and someone's like, you know, I think those odds are pretty good. Let's start throwing humans <laughs> at it. And you're like, what? Yeah. We're 50% we're going to start throwing humans. And the plan was like, cool, we're going to build this. Uh, I'm going to build this skyscraper made out of explosives um called a rocket and i'm going to put a couple of humans at the top and we're just gonna just gonna shoot you at the moon which is moving also the earth is moving also we don't have like we don't have computers we're doing a lot of the calculations by hand and um it's like the most it's like the craziest thing i, I just um when you really start thinking about it and like like how much complexity goes like getting to the moon landing let putting a something down on the surface shooting it back up reconnecting and then sending it back it is it's complete lunacy so uh, yeah it, it's so ballsy like it's inc it's incredible it's, <laughs> like just yeah the, the amount of risk and calculations that had to be on point to make that happen is just unbelievable i mean obviously what we can do nowadays with technology is and we could easily go back and land there but yeah back in what was it 1965 when we landed on the moon 69, 69 i think it was okay yeah i mean yeah like i'm i'm surprised we could even put humans out in space in a in a spaceship that was sealed properly to withstand all those conditions yeah it's crazy you ever see there's a picture of uh the wright brothers first flight and uh the picture of neil armstrong standing on the moon and it's like you know these pictures are separated by less than 70 years and you're like what it's like that is yeah. <laughs> insane insane yeah so. i know just technology man and how how fast things multiply and and now we have ai which is going to be running the world before we know it that's crazy <laughs> I've, I've read some pretty interesting books about ai and like um one I, I think when ai was first started talking about they're like well you know the arts and and literature will always be safe the ai won't be able to do that and that was like the first thing like you can get ai generated images immediately like i can go get i can log onto my phone and get one right now which is pretty crazy because that was always supposed to be like, I don't know, all the books I read, they were supposed to be like, well, that was like when they'll never be able to do art. And it's like, no, they can they can do art better and faster and cheaper now. It's like, uh. Yeah. 
Yeah, they can do just about anything. I mean, it's, it's kind of nice when you can log into chat GPT and if you need to have something written up like contracts or whatnot, just type in what you need and it just, just lays it out. Copy, paste. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, yeah. I still write everything by hand. I don't use chat GPT in case anyone's curious. <laughs> Old well, school. If you, ever, if you ever need to, uh, like, like a bill of sale, for example, like, it's easy. You just type in bill sell for this vehicle and boom, lays it out for you. No way. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I, I just blew your mind. Yeah. All right. We're going to, we're going to start, we're going to get going. Any final shout outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, etc. cetera. Uh, I want to give you a shout out. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful you asked me to come on. I mean, I know we've known each other for quite a, quite a while now and just have kind of, always said hey to each other out on course over the years. Um, but I mean, I've watched you do this for so many years, and especially WTM, and get out there and kick ass and just push yourself every single time. And, and what you're doing for the you know, community and everything you're tied in with, all your books, and obviously you're speaking to high schools about what you do. Like That's, that's honestly a goal of mine. So I, I definitely admire you for that. Um, you know, I, I'd love to be in that position where I could speak to speak to people about the the crazy endurance stuff we do. So mm -hmm. definitely a big shout out to you and appreciate you for everything you do. Um, and then just, uh, I guess like a shout out, uh, raw nutrition and revive MD. They're two of my sponsors are recently picked up. Um, and then NVDM coaching, uh, I coached for that group. If anyone out there needs any triathlon coaching, OCR running, um, feel free to reach out. I know Evan, you're you're probably coaching some people as well. Um, so. I do a little. I do a little bit of coaching. I don't have much time to devote to it, so I try to keep the pool very very small. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, that's that's about it um, for for my shout outs. Gotcha. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. I had no idea you were going to say that, so I I do appreciate it. And um, yeah, my only I apologize for not bringing you on sooner. I should have been. A, in my opinion, I should have brought you on probably a couple of years ago, but it's uh, <laughs> the way things. That's the way things roll sometimes. I got a couple of guests yeah. who I've been like, I've got a list of some people who I'm like, oh, we should get this guy on the podcast. And then uh, sometimes I reach out, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think I've reached out and I haven't. In my mind, I've reached out. So um, yeah, I should be better. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I I appreciate it, man, and no worries. I, I mean, I, I had no clue that. Uh, you know that you would even want me on your podcast so when you reached out i was like heck yeah i'm, I'm open for it right on right on well um if anyone hasn't seen it check out the obstacle racing media video um christian has a it's like one of the main is like the main character in there if we're you know, <laughs> we want to say that um so that's a pretty good video and uh we'll be following you in saudi arabia and your team absolutely and then if anyone wants to check out my newest book, which was released last month, it's called The Sponsored Athlete. It's like 100 pages. It's kind of like a quick down and dirty on like how to get sponsorships and or reduce costs from racing. So if you want to make money, um, depending on your skill level, you may be able to make money, but at, at a very minimum, you can reduce cost. And if you can reduce cost, then you can race more and you can, uh, you can, you can enjoy your hobby at a lower price point, right? Which is... Uh, I mean, for most of my athletic career, I was paying full price. And then I was like, oh, I should start doing stuff. And then I can do this more and cheaper. And then it eventually turned into something that I do make a little bit of profit off of. So you can check that out. And I don't have 50,000 Instagram followers or Facebook followers. It's just a little bit of persistence and hard work. So lays out the plan in there pretty good.
So, all right. Uh, I think that's it. Christian, thanks again yeah. for coming on. And oh, of we'll, course, we'll man. send over any of those links that you just mentioned about sponsors and coaching and stuff, stuff like that. And we'll drop it in the show notes for people. Okay. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right. I'll catch you later. All right. All right, Evan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.